Hello, I'm Moira Fay, and welcome to the Dublin Business Collective sponsored by SSE Airtricity. The podcast where we get together and jump into the minds of some of Ireland's most famous and inspirational business owners, founders and entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome back to the Dublin Business Collective podcast. This is the final episode of season one and it seems timely as I am almost talked out for 2023, as you can probably hear. This podcast is sponsored by SSE Electricity and is a Dublin Chamber podcast. I invite you to visit dublinchamber.ie to learn more. Every podcast tells a story. But today the pressure is on because my guest is also in the business of telling stories, thoroughly modern stories via social media analysis. Today I'm joined by Stephen O'Leary, founder of Olitico, Ireland's leading social media analysis company. As well as laying claim to an extremely impressive Irish and international client list, Olitico's research and analysis has been published by major national and global media outlets, including BBC and Washington Post. Stephen himself is a World Economic Forum young global shaper and a highly regarded and established conference speaker, having addressed audiences at numerous prolific events, including the Web Summit. We're not only wrapping up the season with an outstanding entrepreneur, but with a guest who is very close to Dublin Chamber. You might say that the call is coming from within the house because Stephen is the current president of Dublin Chamber, having been a member of our council since 2015 and board of directors since 2020. Stephen, thank you for joining me for the grand finale of the Dublin Business Collective season one. And I hope you will do a lot of talking for me. Um, But yes, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, delighted to be here. We first met a very long time ago when you first joined the chamber um, under O'Leary Analytics at the time. Um, So, I'd love it if we could start by maybe taking me back then to starting your business. What made you want to start your business and how did you go about it? Yeah, that was 2009. It's kind of incredible sometimes to think that it's been 14 years um, in the making. And the reasons behind it, you know, there was there's times when I describe it as like accidental entrepreneurship. So I didn't have this burning desire to run my own company or to build a firm or anything like that. But it was a time of significant change in Ireland. So there had been and was an ongoing recession uh, in 08, 09. And I had been working as a sports agent representing professional golfers on the European Tour and the PGA Tour in a relative startup um, in Dublin. I've been doing it for about a year. And what had happened was that prior to that, I had worked for a software company selling software and sold it into companies for a couple of years, primarily in Ireland. And the software allowed you to track what the media was saying about you. It was media monitoring software. And at the time it was relatively new. So that industry was quite traditional. You would quite often like take clippings out of papers historically, but what this company did was looked at online news. So it looked at what was happening on the, the internet and We sold that software or I sold that software within that company for a couple of years, joined the sports management agency for a year. But during the year at the sports management agency, a number of customers came to me and said, so we bought this software and you demonstrated it to us and it looked really, really good, but we're not going to renew and we're not going to buy it again. And when I pressed them as to the why, after explaining I didn't work for the company anymore, the consistent feedback was, well, we like what it does. And we like the output, 
but we don't have the time or resources in-house to use it ourselves. We can't self-serve. So I heard this enough times from enough different companies to eventually ask the question, well, if it existed as a service, would you buy it as a service instead of software? And one company said yes. And so with no real plan, with no budget or backing, bootstrapped, no real savings, no clue as to what I was doing, I set up, like you say, O'Leary Analytics, and that was 14 years ago. Wow. You know, as you say, you started bootstrapped and you started out small. How long were you in business before you started to notice growth and maybe started to strategize for growth? Well, I went the other direction first, right? So at the start, I had a client and in my mind, well, if I have one client and I got that before I even started up, there must be hundreds of companies out there that need a service like this. And so I'll call people, I'll knock on doors, I'll, I'll find customers and we'll grow it to maybe 10 or 20 customers. I might hire a few people, etc. And the reality was entirely different because I had never done this before and I had no idea really what I was signing up for or what I was getting into. And again, if we take ourselves back to that time, budgets were tight. So companies saw media monitoring as a nice to have, not really a need to have. Yes, we'd like to see what the media are saying about us, but I've got all these other costs I have right now. Maybe I'm letting staff go, etc. And so if I've got to keep such a close eye on costs, really signing up for an online media monitoring service is something I can't afford or we can't afford. And I heard a lot of this. And so really after two or three months, I wasn't really sure if I'd made the right decision or if this was going to work. I got a job waiting tables in the evenings to help pay for rent. But six months in, I still only had one permanent customer, picked up a couple of little projects along the way, but I wasn't making enough money to meet paying the rent in the room I was staying in in Dublin at the time, um, even with the, the shifts in the restaurant and so on. So it got to a point where I was like, maybe I need to just shut this down, go back to the market and see, can I get a job somewhere? And I spoke to my parents and they said, look, it seems like you're enjoying what you're doing and it's still relatively early, like you're only six months in. Um, so maybe give it six more months and we'll help you out in terms of like covering any gaps you have in your rent and um, and just, yeah, g give it maybe six more months and see. And that level of support, that was one of the kinds of support I got. And really, if I, if I take myself back to that time period, support was what was central to everything that followed. So I had supportive parents. I had the support of the chamber because one of the first things I did when I set up the business was talk to people and say, you know, how am I going to get our name out there? How am I going to develop O'Leary Analytics as a brand? Yeah. I know a few people, but I need to get this out to as broad an audience as possible. And repeatedly people said, you need to join the chamber. So very I did, wise people, very wise people. <laughs> yes, the wisest. So I did that. And from day one, the chamber were incredibly supportive and said, look, at your level of membership, there's loads of things you can do. There's lots you can come to. And at the time I had no money. I had no clients, uh, but I had tons of time. So I would go to every breakfast I could go to, every lunch, every after work networking event. I mean, you name it, I yeah. would go to it because it was about building the brand, but also it was about maximizing the time I had available. How was I possibly going to meet potential new clients in yeah. any kind of way? And this was one of the, the ways into it. So yes, we're 14 years in now and lots has happened since, but those first six to 12 months, it certainly wasn't this kind of like linear path where I just took off or the business took off. I think the best part 
the best paths aren't linear, though, because I think that's where a lot of the lessons are. We'll chat about the chamber and the network piece, because I'd love to know your thoughts on that. But was there a moment for you, that kind of aha moment where you were like, OK, this is this was the right decision. My parents were right. Yes, there was. There were several. There was one particular piece where at the time in Ireland, there was a, a lot of conversation about social media. So there was an item on the 6-1 News where um, a member of government had tweeted about the Taoiseach and it became news, right? And it was incredible to see this kind of like groundswell of people saying, what's Twitter, right? What is the, you know, what's that? Where does the news come from and that? And while there hadn't been a huge appetite or urgency around media monitoring, social media monitoring was something that was just emerging. And people were saying, well, if politicians are talking on Twitter and the media are talking on Twitter and I run a company in Ireland, I probably need to know what these politicians and media are saying. And then people started to realize the general public were also on Twitter. So this was, Instagram didn't exist. TikTok didn't exist. Facebook was still really popular and used as probably the most common social network at the yeah. time. Snapchat, not there. LinkedIn in its absolute infancy. So, so many of the networks we take for granted now just weren't there, but yeah. Twitter was becoming popular. And that was the catalyst because suddenly companies and organizations wanted to know what was being said on social media. And the media also wanted to know what was being said on social media. So I started to field calls from TV stations and radio stations and journalists saying, are you able to track social media? And because we could, and because the software we had licensed allowed us to do that, suddenly things changed. And that's when growth started to occur. Social media, it is a monolith today compared to obviously when, when you started out. How important do you personally think that social media is as a business tool, particularly for SMEs, or is it? It's important is an interesting word there. I think it's maybe it comes back to value. Mm. So I don't believe it's important for every SME. Yeah. Um, or every business of any kind for that matter. But the potential value of social media is incredible. Yeah. if it's used in the right way. Traditionally, we think about social media as a way of getting our message out. So this podcast will be shared on TikTok. It'll be talked about on Twitter. It'll be put up on LinkedIn. Yeah. I'll be one of the ones who'll be saying, hey, come listen to me, right? Yeah. That's that's the most common way we think about social networks. Yeah. And there is a huge amount of value in that, right? So if you think more traditionally, we probably were much more reliant 20 years ago on the media to get a message out. If you weren't able to get it into a newspaper or onto a TV station or onto a radio station or on a billboard, then it was actually quite hard to get your message out. Yeah. Social networks changed the game. They essentially gave individuals a platform to build a brand, to build yeah. an audience uh, and essentially share, share their news. So that's probably what most SMEs and larger businesses think of when they think about social media. But we see it entirely differently. Okay. We see what you can gain when you stop talking, but start listening. And that really underpins all of what it is we do. I mean, the public and politicians and the media and organizations, they share so much 
on social networks. And if you stop for a moment or longer than a moment and listen to what's being said, you can gain incredible insights into maybe the products or services you should be developing because there is demand for them. Um, The problems that possibly exist that you might be able to solve, um, the issues your customers are having, even though they're possibly not talking directly about you. There is just a, you know, there is so much information um, available. And, you know, again, traditionally, when we wanted to gain that information, you would have to run focus groups, our surveys, our omnibuses. But today, what we have is an ability to actually learn this without ever asking a question. You don't have to go onto a social network and say, hey, tell me what you think about my company. Instead, you can just listen to what listen. people are saying. Now, both are true. And actually, the CEO of Airbnb is probably one of the best exponents of this. Twice a year, usually kind of very early January and kind of in the middle of the year, he goes on to Twitter and says, right, tell me what you want Airbnb to build this year. And he feels thousands of replies. So at the start of this year, he asked the question. He got four or 5,000 replies. And he took all the data, his team took all the data, and a couple of days later, they came back and said, right, here's the top 10 things you've asked for. We're going to build them. And then in June, they had a product release. And they said, right, back in January, these are the things you asked us to build. We've built them. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, like, that's a single tweet he sends. He's got control of. Now he's famous and he runs you know, one of the largest companies in the world. He's got a, an incredible brand. It's not like anyone can go on and just do it like that from the start. Yeah. But you build to that. There was a time when he didn't have that platform and didn't have that network. So it's grown and it's, I come back to it quite often as a really good example of what you can, how you can leverage a network. So he's not telling people about Airbnb. He's not going out and saying, hey, this is why our service is amazing and you should use us when you next want to travel. Instead, he's saying, right, you're our customers. Yeah. What can we do to make this a better experience for you? It's, it's like marketing 101, what's in it for me? So he's immediately asking people what they want and people love to be asked what they want. Um, a, a kind of a theme in the series of the podcast um, from different guests is, you know, having that extremely valuable B2C platform that is social media, depending on what industry you're in. Um, so it is it's 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 just really great to hear to hear your your views on it. Um, if we look at social media, um, as sort of, as you mentioned earlier, a social network, it kind of leads us into talking about the value of network and the value of community, of a collective. Um, how important as an SME would you say that networking piece has been to your business? So the business doesn't exist without it. Yeah. Fundamentally, because everything comes from that network. I mean, and again, what's really interesting is, and you see this in Ireland repeatedly, there is an incredible amount of goodwill that the business community and the broader community has in terms of wanting people to succeed. There's a narrative that exists around, well, if you get too high on your horse, you're gonna get knocked down or we build you up to to knock you down. And there are examples of that, but there are far more examples. And I have this as a lived experience of the community and businesses and individuals who want you to succeed. And so, so much of the value from growing your network comes from having people who are then 
looking out for you. Yeah. And if I trace back to the very early days, as I say, it was bootstrapped. So I ran the business from a kitchen table in a house I was renting for the first six months. And again, one of my biggest outlets was probably the chamber, right? Because it yeah. was something you could go to once or twice a week and just not be at the kitchen table. Um, and about six months in, I spoke at an event talking about who we were and what we did. And someone in the audience worked for a much bigger advertising agency. And afterwards they came up to me and said, that was really interesting. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? And I said, absolutely, let's have a meeting. We went in and had a chat and at the meeting they said, where are your offices? And I said, well, there's a kitchen table in the house I'm renting and the rest of the house goes out during the day. So I work from there. And they said, well, we've got spare desks. So Brilliant. why don't you come in and use one of our desks? We won't charge you rent. And then if opportunities come up with our clients who may have a need for your type of service, well, then maybe you'll give it to us at a bit of a discount or we'll understand a bit more about what it is you do because it's quite new. And that then created a community and a network for me. Yeah. It's where I met my wife. We sat down on day one opposite each other. She worked in the, the agency and essentially like I fell in love, right? So yeah. the the agency in question has um, has an awful lot of credit in the bank with me, right? Both. Uh, it sounds like it. Yeah, personally and professionally. But over the years, over kind of the space of about two or three years, I needed to hire people to meet the growing needs of the business. And so the agency gave me a second desk and then they gave me like a third desk. Now, at that point, they said, maybe now you need to kind of go out on yeah. your own and, and, and find a bit of space. Yeah. And, and that was important for a range of reasons. Mm. But that that network, that support group, that that givingness, right? So they're, they're, yes, I ended up doing a bit of work for some of their clients. And I'd like to think I brought a lot to the office in terms of the atmosphere and and various other bits and pieces. But commercially, they didn't have to do this. No, There was no need for this. It didn't impact their bottom line. They did it from my viewpoint because they wanted to be supportive of a new business in Dublin. And that was repeated again and again and again. And it wasn't just at the start. That continues today. Yeah, Like in the last two months, uh, we came up against a challenge in work and it was really difficult. And there was an incredible level of support in terms of other businesses stepping in to ask how they could help. And it's um, it's a constant reminder of how much goodness there is within the broader community, but specifically, I guess, in the business community in Dublin. Yeah, I think from my experience within the chamber and also the Dublin business community, you'd be very hard pressed to actually find someone who pulls the ladder up after them. You know, people leave it down and, and bring people along with them. And, and I think the Chamber Network has demonstrated that really powerfully and um, really, really well over the years. Obviously, it's something that you believe in too because you are our president at the moment. would love to just hear for a minute from your mouth just what you think that the Chamber can do for Dublin business. No pressure. So... It does give a voice, right? Mm. Fundamentally, that's as uh, what I see the chamber doing is 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 giving a voice, but it's about the power of a collective. Yeah. So individually, 
the chamber is made up of incredible business people, incredible businesses that collectively employ hundreds of thousands of people across the greater Dublin region. So there's this huge uh, representation there. And individually, these businesses and business leaders are really successful and do great things. But collectively, they can achieve and do achieve even more. And what the chamber does is it, it, it helps them to do business with each other. So you find yourself in the rooms with the right people, having the right kinds of conversations. And it's everything from the most public of business breakfasts with maybe hundreds of members down to the really intimate dinner and cameras with 30 or 40 of maybe the most senior business people in yeah. the country. So there's that whole spectrum of conversations you can have. And I know from personal experience that we have met new clients, won new business directly through the chamber, the value of which covers our membership for decades. Yeah. Right. So so there is that that quantifiable, tangible return you get. But I think what I've learned over the years, and this is probably what the evolution of membership has looked like for me, is that when I began the business and when it was very much about okay, how do we just take the next step, hire the next person, win the next contract, become maybe that little bit bigger or that little bit stronger, that little bit better. The Chamber was very much a networking organization in my eyes. That's it was its primary purpose. Now, there were things on the fringes. So I learned how to submit tenders in a better way by doing the tender training. And there were other things like that. Yeah. Um, and a strong social element, right? So when you set up a business and you're a sole trader, the chamber become your colleagues. Your colleagues, yeah. Right. The, the that's how you get that kind of professional outlet, and you get to share the experience, right? So, like, you know, you're encountering everything is new, everything you're doing for the first time, right? Yeah. Your your revenue returns, your payroll, your HR, all these things that if it's your first time running a business are probably new to you, and yet within the room there are often people who are experiencing the same things. Yeah. So all of that is there and that network is is a vital value. But what changes over time is you you start to get a much greater insight into the strategic elements of the chamber. So the networking is relatively tactical for the most part, right? Now there's a lot of long-term relationship building, but it's about showing up, it's about having conversations, it's about learning and understanding and sharing your story, all of these things. But strategically, there are things that impact every business in Dublin. Housing, infrastructure, utilities, insurance, like you name it. If it's got to do with running a business in the city, the chamber gives you and is a voice for all those businesses. And it's a voice for business, whether you're a member or not. I mean, it doesn't, it's not selective. The chamber doesn't choose who it represents. It is a voice for this this massive collective um, uh, set of, of businesses. And it's the change you see, not on a day-to-day -day basis, but over years, and in my case, over a decade, that's the type of impact the organization continues to have. I mean, you referenced its foundation, you know, over 200 years ago. And it's it's seeing over that long-term plane. And it's probably the thing that I've learned more about in my year as president than a lot of other things. There is this rich history of change that has occurred that the chamber has been central to. Yeah. And you can see it in 
in budget decisions. You can see it in policy decisions. You can see it in the infrastructure around the city. And it's rarely just down to the chamber. It's rarely that the chamber was the organization that was central to the absoluteness, but it was a key voice. Yeah. And it's, again, it comes back to the collective. So in much, as much as the chamber provides a voice for collective business in Dublin, it then is a voice which forms a bigger collective, which is able to go to the government and other stakeholders and say, right, this is the change that needs to occur. Yeah. We've spoken to a thousand companies. We've listened to their hundreds of thousands of employees and they need this to change. They need this transport to be better. They need this infrastructure to be better. They need these changes to be made. And if you make these changes, business will grow and thrive and the city will grow and thrive and it'll become a better place, not just to do business, but also in which to live, to raise a family, to visit. You know, there's there's so much um, long-term good that comes when you bring all those voices together. So many, so many wins and to remain a cultural stronghold as well for for everybody. You touched there on the lobbying work that the chamber does. Um, so being a Dublin based company and being um, president of Dublin Chamber, would love to know your thoughts on how do you feel that Dublin is currently as a landscape for business owners or entrepreneurs? Is it, is it a hospitable landscape? What can be improved, um, you know, in your experience and in your views? What, what, can, what can we do better? So Dublin has grown incredibly in the past 20 years. And that success has been amazing to watch. It's been amazing to be part of it. So if you look at what's occurred since 08, 09 and that recession in terms of the rebound of the country and how strong it's gotten and the incredible businesses that have both decided to relocate here uh, and to grow their own maybe European or global headquarters out of Dublin, but also the indigenous Irish firms that have grown and the success stories that we see that have come out of Dublin, um, the likes of Intercom and other unicorns that you know have grown to literally be billion dollar businesses that were founded and started in the city. That's amazing to see and that success attracts success and it breeds success. You see that. So again, you know, although it's tough for us to compete as an employer with the likes of Google and Facebook and the other large corporates that are here, they attract a lot of talent. And so much of that talent works in those organizations for a period of time and then decides they're going to go out on their own. So you get this kind of really vibrant ecosystem of entrepreneurship that emerges not um, in spite of these large multinationals, but quite often because of them. Uh, and because of their proximity and things like the Silicon Docks and, and other spaces. However, that growth brings real challenges because the city is straining, the country is straining to keep up with the growth. And we see it, I mean, housing is the ultimate kind of litmus yeah. test for this. Um, anybody who's listening or watching the podcast probably either directly has experienced the housing crisis or knows someone who's directly impacted by the housing crisis. And and it is a crisis, right? There is an absolute shortfall of rental um, and property available to purchase, no matter the stage of life that people are at, but certainly amongst a younger generation who are increasingly seeing themselves locked out of, um, yeah. of property. So 
again, over the course of the year, one of the things the president of the chamber does is meet with ministers and other stakeholders in this space. And we hear from both members um, and their employees about the challenges they face, but we also hear about the steps that are, that are being taken. And I take a huge amount of confidence in the approaches that are being taken currently, but more has to be done. It has to be done faster. I, I don't doubt that the urgency is understood. I do genuinely believe that those who control and have the ability to influence housing policy in Ireland understand how serious the situation is. And I don't think anyone has got a magic solution here um, or is able to just come in and, and instantly fix this. It's going to take probably decades uh, to, to, to fix this. But without question, it's the single biggest challenge that the city faces right now. We need more houses and we need them quickly. And my hope would be that over the next two or three years, we're starting to see as we come to the end of 23, more of that housing come on stream. And there's some fairly significant planning changes about to be implemented um, in terms of law in Ireland. So it feels like the various elements that will come together to hopefully turn on a tap yeah. uh, at a faster rate are in place. But that's easy for me to say as someone who owns their own house and isn't currently out in that rental market or trying to buy. Um, and I'm acutely aware, I think, of, of my personal kind of position around this. But I do, I, I strongly believe that we're on the cusp of hopefully seeing a much greater amount of supply become available. And the hope is that it'll alleviate some of the challenges. But housing is it. Housing is yeah. housing is central to all of this. It really is. So 2023, it's been a busy one for you with your presidency and with your own business. Um, how do you relax? How do you switch off? I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. They, you know, it's cliched, right? But they keep you young and they, they give and you awake and awake um, and they give you a really healthy dose of perspective. Yep. So anytime I feel that either it's getting a little bit busy at work or that the commitments in the chamber are, are extensive, you're kind of reminded that really it's as simple as spending time with the two of them, really. So I'm lucky in that my weekends are pretty much still my weekends. Um, we have a four and a half day work week in our company. So that opens up a little bit more time as well to spend with kind of right. friends and family. Um, and anyone who runs their own business will know that it tends not to be a Monday to Friday, nine to five. And for the most part, it isn't. But Olitico has an incredible team of people who are really, really talented, who work really, really hard. And it means that the the days of me being essential to the business are its success, they're kind of on the way out really. So I still have a role to play and I like to think that I bring value, but ultimately the the collective that's there now, the team that's there, they can take on and do take on 
um, the lion's share of responsibility and they are central to the success of the business. So that means I do have time to to unwind. Um, I played golf at one stage, less so now. I found out last week I got a place in the marathon lottery for 2024. Oh, well done. So I have a focus now for, for next year in terms of maybe getting back into it. It'll be a decade since I last ran it. So okay. I reckon it's probably harder in your 40s than your 30s to run a marathon. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. Um, so yeah, look, there are lots of different ways, but you know, family is probably the number one, right? Yeah. And yeah, the, the girls... The girls occupy most of my time. Perfect. I'm going to wrap it up with the question that I always finish with. And that is, what's your piece of advice? What's your one takeaway, your one, your one golden thought for people who uh, are either going to set up their business or have recently um, become business owners? Get a coach. Okay. Get a coach. Um, get it as early as you can. Talk to people who've had coaches, um, get a recommendation, but find a great coach. If I look back at the success of Olitico, my personal success, um, so much of it is wrapped up with the moment I started working with my coach. She has had an incredibly positive impact on um, me as an individual, but particularly how I run Olitico as an organization. And there is no, it, it is no surprise that the trajectory of the company and when it really started to take off absolutely coincides with when I started working with her. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, we know a huge amount about ourselves as individuals. We can know an awful lot about our businesses, but no different to a high-performing athlete, they rely heavily on external coaching to come in, not to maybe teach them how to be so much better at what it is they currently do, but to help them strategize, to help them plan, to put um, performance considerations in place. There's a whole range of different things, but yeah, one line, get a coach. Fantastic. Well. I think that is the perfect way to finish our conversation and the series. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being so open and for your candor and for sharing your experience um, within the chamber. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors, SSE Electricity, and of course, to you for listening. I would like to say a huge personal thanks for the support and downloads this season. The feedback has been wonderful and we are looking forward to more conversations like this one in 2024. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like and share the episode and subscribe to the Dublin Business Collective uh, to hear more conversations just like this one. And thank you also again to SSE Electricity. My name is Moira Faye. Thank you again for listening to the Dublin Business Collective and I will speak to you next time.